Welcome back, and welcome to another episode of Daf Shvui, weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. This week I'm holding, on the one hand, the deep, deep grief, ongoing state violence and racism that ended up in the death of George Floyd, amongst the many, many victims of police violence, and at the same time, the hope um, that comes from seeing so many people come together in the hopes of liberation to decry injustice. Um, I was on the streets of Los Angeles this week, and there was an enormous amount of yearning for liberation and hope for liberation, together with the sadness and heartbreak of the stories of police, murder, and violence. So this week, we're starting on chapter three. In Baba Bacha, we're on page 28a, Chavchet Amad Aleph, in the pagination that was made popular by the brothers and widow Rome in Vilna Lothi's 150 years ago. Uh, there will be links, of course, in the show notes, in the podcast notes. And we're moving from talking about neighbors and various different ways in which uh, one's property borders on another's property and what happens in that interstices of bordering. And we're moving into ownership. This uh, third chapter is called Cheskat Habatim for the first two words, which means the assumption of ownership. And so uh, I thought it might be helpful since we're going to get into the messiness of what does it mean to own? How does one end up owning? Uh, just a little survey on of the philosophical literature of ownership. This is taken essentially from the stand, the online Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, a wonderful resource. So Hobbes and Hume argued that property can only have been originally installed by the power of the state. There is no natural mine and thine. That's their words. Locke was adamant that property could have been instituted in a state of nature without any special conventions or political decisions. Locke has a theory of first, quote-unquote, first occupancy in which a person in the state of nature acquires a thing by adding to it or removing something from it by his labor. Some, for example, Nozick or G.A. Cohen, argue that self-ownership is a basis for thinking about ownership more generally, since we own our bodies or, quote, we have an intimate pre-legal relationship with our bodies. And according to Cohen, a person owns himself when he has all the control over his own body that a master would have over him were he a slave. Okay, that's written in 1995 and just put out there as if it's uncomplicated. Now, since a master is entitled, again, that word, to make comprehensive use of his slave for his own profit without owning any account or any contribution to anyone else, it seems to follow from the idea of self-ownership that a person must be allowed to profit equally comprehensively from the control of his own mental and bodily resources. Could have done that without the notion of slaves, so we'll get back to slaves, unfortunately, in our Mishnah. Lockean genealogy of property. So according to Locke, this is what happens. First is the state of nature. Each person takes what they need to survive, and by mixing his labor, his or her labor, with the product, gives value added both for themselves and others. Then, surplus goods that one has acquired or traded for goods. This brings in its wake markets, prosperity, avarice, and greed. And then, institution of government come in to protect the property rights that have grown up 
in this way. And the issue of historical priority here is indispensable. Whose use of a given resource came first is crucial. And the order in which goods were subsequently transferred from hand to hand is indispensable for understanding the legitimacy of current entitlements. And Robert Nozick has done more than anyone else to elucidate the form of this kind of historical entitlement theory, right? being able to tell a story about how we got to the present moment of some people owning things and other people owning other things. Hume's genealogy, so Hume's story about how this happened, everybody fights in the beginning, everybody fights over resources and grabs what they can by force or cunning. At a certain point, everybody agrees that having rules will be better, that there might be a peace dividend. But notice that this, how much more modest Hume's story is than the Lockean account and the moral claims that it makes. The stability of the emergent distribution has nothing to do with its justice, according to the Humean story, nor with the moral quality of the actions by which goods were appropriated. It may be fair or unfair, equal or unequal, but the parties already know that they cannot hope for a much better distribution by pitching their own strength yet again against that of others. So everybody fights with everybody else. Lord of the Rings or whoever gets the ring wins. I'm not actually a big Lord of the Rings fan. Well, I read it, but you know, whatever. That's this notion of messy fighting. And then at a certain point, everybody agrees, you know what, let's stop fighting and we'll stay at the at the status quo with government intervention. Rousseau says we are to imagine, according to, to Rousseau, we are to imagine a period where people try and rely on their own physical and moral initiative to take possession of the resources which they need or want, but in which it becomes increasingly apparent that the institution of reliable property arrangements is going to have to involve a social decision. Eventually, property must be based on consent, the consent of everyone affected by decisions about the use and control of a given set of resources. So a little mushiness, as it were, between the notion that everybody takes what they want, and then everybody has to figure out some kind of social consent so that everybody can keep what they want. Negative genealogies remind us of the importance of Mill's observation that in approaching the justification of private property, we must remember that, quote, we must leave out of consideration its actual origin in any of the existing nations of Europe. That was Mill in 1848, because you just can't do it. So apparently you could have a theory, but then when you look around and what happens in your own country, it's not going to happen. In most private property systems, there are some individuals who own little or nothing and are entirely at the mercy of others. So when it is said that, quote, people in general, unquote, are better off under private property arrangements, we have to ask which people? Everyone, the majority, or just a small class of owners whose prosperity is so great as to offset the consequent emisceration of the others in an aggregative utilitarian calculus. And so I, I just went over this because in a minute we're going to get into the nitty gritty of what it means to own, to have ownership of property. And it is messy. And so I just wanted to give a little context for that in the sense that it is messy everywhere. We don't really have one good standard understanding of how ownership happens, and we go from there. Okay, so we're going to start on the Mishnah, top of 28a. Cheskat habatim v'haborot v'shichin v'amearot v'shovachot v'merchetzaot uveit habadin uveit hashlachin v'haavadim v'chol shehu oseh perot tadir cheskatan shalosh shanim miyom liyom. So the chazaka, the point at which there is an assumption of ownership on houses and cisterns and uh, water troughs and caves, artificial caves, which are dug and, and uh, dovecotes and bathhouses and presses and springs for uh, irrigation and slaves and anything that makes 
fruit constantly, any kind of field that makes that constantly makes fruit or anything that now the question there is anything that makes fruit constantly that produces fruit constantly, whether that's going back on all of these things or just on the specific type of field that does that, because in a minute we're going to contrast it with the type of field that is that doesn't do that. Their chazaka, the time that it takes to have an assumption that a person who is sitting on it is the owner, is three years from day to day. Now, there's exactly three years. Here we have to say, we have to note that again, we list slaves in this set of things that are owned, and slaves are also owned according to rabbinic law, and slave people are owned according to rabbinic law in the same way that fields are owned or animals are owned. The rabbis, even though they had a highly tuned moral sense in certain areas, in other areas, they did not. And they were blind to the fact that owning other humans was a massive problem. Okay, stay habal, the type of field which is watered from just uh, rainwater. In other words, therefore, it doesn't constantly give fruit, but only during the rainy season. It takes three years for somebody sitting on the land to say that they're the owner and then that we assume that they are the owner. They have assumption of ownership. And it doesn't have to be exactly three years. says, so how long does it take? It takes three months in the beginning, three months at the end, and 12 months in the middle, which is 18 months. Rabbi Akiva says, two months in the beginning, two months in, two months in the first year, two months in the last year, and just 12 months in the middle, 14 months. What are we talking about? We are talking about a field in which all of its fruits are harvested at the at the same time. What's called a stelavan, which is like a steabal. But so that's the one where you need these different types of things, which are not miyom liyom. However, when you're talking about a steilan, in other words, a field which has many different types of trees or, or fruits in it, then you, as soon as you 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 reap your you harvest one grain, one the grain, you uh, harvest the olives or you harvest the dates, that is three years. That is considered three years. So it just needs three harvests is what we mean by three years. So the mission is not as simple as as, it, as smooth as it goes. Rashi smooths over some of the problem that you have. First you go, we talk about the the stay, uh, the beta shalchin, the irrigated field, then stay habal, the field which is just irrigated by rainwater. And there it says, it's three years and it doesn't need, not day to day. And that seems to put an end to the topic. And then Rabbi Shmuel Omerish Loshachoshim Brishna. So Rashi has to, Rashi adds in there, but what do you mean by that? In other words, what does it mean not miyom liyom? And Rabbi Shmuel says the three months, 12, three months, or Rabbi Akiva says two months, 12 months, two months. Whole discussion about why Dafka, three months and two months. And that has to do with what kind of, well, at least according to the Rishonim, it has to do with what kind of fruit, and based on a, a discussion later on in the Gemara, what kind of produce are they considering, whether it's produce that takes longer to grow or shorter to grow. And that's why three months versus two months. And then again, we have Rabbi Yishmael saying again, so what is that? 
actually contradict is that there's a, a, a dispute in in the Rishonim, in the commentaries, whether Rabbi Shema, the last two lines of the Mishnah, is going back and saying, when he says, what are we talking about, Bistelavan, that we're talking about a field that all its fruit are har- harvested at the same time, is that going back and narrowing the assumption in the beginning of the Mishnah, in the first part of the Mishnah, where it talks about Beit HaShlachin, an irrigated field, or is this again, um, or this Deabal, or is this again continuing what immediately came before when he says three months, 12 months, three months, and uh, some say this way, some say that way. There's no conclusion, of course. So, okay, so that's our Mishnah. So Rabbi Yochanan says, I heard from Holchei Usha. It's not clear who Holchei Usha are. Rashi says, Rashi tags it to the notion that, you know, the Shechina that there are 10 stages of leaving Eretz Yisrael, and one of them was going to Usha. Could be later on the Gemara actually identifies Holchei Usha with Rebbe Yishmael, and we'll get to that next week. But I heard Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Yochanan, a Palestinian Amora, says, I heard from the those who are going, who went to Usha or coming from Usha, who said, how do we know that a Chazakah, this assumption of ownership, is three years? From um, Shoramud, from the law of a, a goring ox, an ox that after three times on the fourth time uh, becomes, is considered a muad, one who is known to gore and therefore has to pay full damages as opposed to having to pay half damages for the first three times. So at this point, this is what the Gemara is going to be talking about for the whole daf this week. So it's important. It is. It makes sense now to note that we have uh, when when they say, "How do we know?" The Gemara says, "How do we know?" Where where does this come from? What is the justification for it? Right. This is going back to the philosophical survey. What is the justification for three years in order to get ownership? It's important to know that in the next Mishnah it says, "Shalosh aritzot There are three different places for a uh, chazakah, for what it takes to have an assumption of ownership. Yehuda, Galil, Judea, the other side of the Jordan River, and the, Gal- and the Galilee. In any of those places, if he was in one place and the property that he wanted to assume ownership on was another place, um, it's not considered a chazakah. It's not considered that he has uh, an assumption of ownership until he is in the same Medina, in the same province as his land is. Amr Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Yehuda goes on, Lo amru shanim ela Yehuda says, they only said, and this must be referring to our Mishnah, which said, they only said three years in order that he can go to Aspamia, which is like all the way in the middle, all the way to the end of nowhere. And hold on to land for a year. So if he goes to Aspamia, in other words, this is the original owner, goes to the end of the earth. Somebody else comes, sits on his land that he doesn't know, a squatter, squats on his land for a year. And then so people run after this guy and it takes them a year to get there to tell him. And then he has to come back for another year. So the three years is one year squatting, one year for messengers to go tell him, and one year for him to come back and to say, no, it's my land. That's where the three years come from. So there it seems that the three years is the outside possibility of how far he will be from the lands that he can go come back 
and assert his ownership of, of the land. And Tosefta says something similar, has uh, Rabbi Yehuda saying something similar. He says, anything that does not continuously produce, like a field that is watered only by rain, exclusively by rain, it's chazaka, assumption of ownership, is three years, but it's not exactly three years, not day to day. Rabbi Yehuda says, they only said three years in case they were in Aspamia. But if he was in the same place as his land was, so then if a squatter sat on his land and worked the land and consumed the fruit of the land for one year, that's considered a chazakah for the guy who's on the land, right? So the issue here of the three years seems to be that if there are three years go by, a squatter is on the land for three years and three years go by, the original owner no longer has a chance to, to come and assert his ownership or to be our heir, to uh, dispute the ownership of the guy who's on the land now. And then you shut the Yerushalmi, which starts out similarly to the Bavli, Minayan Lachazakot. Where do we know Chazakot from? Right? What's the source of the fa- of, of of having a an ownership on land? Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, Shemana Usha Mishor So Rabbi Yochanan says that we heard from those who coming from Usha that we learned it from Shor Hamuad. Right, which seems from the from the, the the goring ox, so it seems that that's uh, similar to the the bavli. However, if we look closely, the bavli says, "How do we?" So, the, according to Rabbi Yochanan, what the 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 holche usha were saying is that how do we know that the chazaka is three years, and we know that from Shermuad. Rabbi Yochanan, or Rabbi Yochanan is answering the question the way it's written in the Yushalmi, how do we know about Chazakot? And he says, we know it from Shermuad. So those are and can be two different things. That he, The way that we have the tradition in the Yushalmi, Rabbi Yochanan is just answering the question, how do we know that there are Chazakot? In other words, assumptions of ownership or assumptions that are based on a continuous now, chazakas, and so the reason I'm, I'm stumbling around figuring out the best word for chazakah, because chazakah means that the status uh, that we have is the status that we assume it to be. So, for example, one of the famous notions of chazakah is that if you have a mikvah, right, a place where you're going to uh, ritual to become ritually pure, you dip in a mikvah, has to be 40 se'ah, 40 is a certain 40 se'ah of water, right? So, if you measure the mikvah and there's 40 se'ah in there, you dip into the mikvah and you come out and then another person goes in after you. So is the second person's dip kosher? Why? Because it's obvious that when the first person came out, he took water with him. But you hadn't measured it in between. So there's a chazaka that there is 40 se'ah of water. So that's what kind of chazaka means, that the current state continues. So a chazaka for ownership means if you're sitting on the land, at one point, we assume that you're sitting there because that land belongs to you, right? Okay. So there's the Yerushalmi and the Babli seem to be answering different questions in the and in the Mishnah and the Tosef. There seems to be an obvious answer to the question of why three years. Yerushalmi and the Babli, the Yerushalmi is answering the question: Well, how do we know Chazakot? How do we know that that things change their state into something into a different state? Right, Chazakas. So we know from the Shor Hamuad, from the goring ox, that after three times the ox gores, 
there is a chazaka, there is an assumption that the ox is going to gore again. So therefore you have to have more responsibility on it. You have to sort of change it into another state, a state of an ox that has been warned, as opposed to the question in the, in the Bavli in which, how do we know that a chazaka is three years from the Sharmuad? And that seems to be, what kind of question is that? Right? How do we know the three years from something that has to do with goring? And the Ramban, actually, Nachmanides, says, putting it very sharply, the Ramban says, I have no, it's unclear to me what the connection between these two things are. So probably originally the, the question was not about the years, but just about the notion of a chazakah. And then Rabbi Yochanan's statement, when it moved from Yishami to Babli, was interpreted by the Stam, as we'll see in a minute, about the years and not just the fact of a chazakah and changing the chazakah, changing the assumption of what the state is, that the ownership of this person, the ownership of that person. Have you ever come home from a long day of hectoring people on their way to the temple and thought to yourself, where do I go from here? I tell people that God doesn't want their sacrifices. I tell people that Assyria is going to crush their dreams and drag them off into slavery. But am I making a difference? Am I being heard? Do you ever look enviously at the big guys who made it into the book, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and think, what do they have that I don't? Well, sure, they write better than me. Their righteous rage is also touched by a sublime poetry. What about Zechariah? Nobody understands what he's saying, and there he is, one of the twelve. What's that all about? Well, we're here to tell you that it's not your fault. Baboy Ben Pakui, Prophet's representation will get you where you know that God wants you to be. We are a Prophet's only Canon Inclusion Representation Agency. Make sure your righteous rage gets the audience it deserves with BBPR. And only for listeners of this podcast, if you contact us now, you'll get a free consultation. Call us at 1-800-PROFITS-REP. That's 1-800-PROFITS-REP. Tell them Daf Shui sent you. So the Bavli continues, Ma'ashara Mu'ad, Kevan Shinagach Gimel Negichot, Nafak Cheskat Tam, V'kam Cheskat Mu'ad, just as an ox, a Mu'ad, right? That once it gored three times, it went out of the assumption that it was a Tam and was established as a Mu'ad, meaning a Tam that it was literally innocent. You know, this is not a goring ox. And then it went into the assumption that it was a goring ox. Hachinami here too. Kevan So once that the person ate three years, consumed the produce for three years, got the benefit of the land, the field, whatever it was for three years, it went out of the domain of the seller, and it was established in the domain of the buyer. So then the Stam says, wait a second, right? This is all the Stam interpreting Rabbi Yochan's statement, the anonymous voice of the Talmud, Ima, but the Stam says, now, wait a second. Ima shor hamuad ad lo ad lo if you're going to make this close analogy with the with the the goring ox, so then the goring ox is not considered a muad until the fourth gore, fourth goring, right? After three gorings, it is there's nothing different. It's only on the fourth goring that you have to pay full damages. So here too, it should only be in the fourth year that it is considered in the domain of the 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 guy who's sitting there now. So wait a second. So there, the thing is that after three Nigichot, it actually changed its state and it's now a Muad. 
It's now a, a gore. However, if it has not gored again, there's nothing to pay. It's not like you gore three times and then you pay for the third goring and you pay for the fourth one, which is going to come up. That, that's not that's not the way it works. But here, since it already a since he already uh, consumed the produce for three years, so then we establish it in his domain, and it is considered the second guy's. But that's parallel because it's after three years and after three years. All right. So then the stam comes back and says, wait, wait, wait. If this is so, then what you are making a claim for is that if you have a chazaka, an assumption of ownership, in other words, you're sitting on the land for three years, but you don't have a claim. What does a claim mean? A claim is you sold it to me. Your father sold it to me. I bought it from some other guy. Then it should still be a chazaka because we look at our Mishnah, it just says chazakata batim, et cetera, et cetera. Shalosh shanim, yom liyom, it's three years from day to day. So if that's true, there's, it just says you're sitting there. So that would assume that you don't need any other kind of a tana, any other kind of a claim on it. So if that's so, alamatznan, kol chazaka she'eni matana, ena chazaka. Why does it say, and actually some of the manuscripts have Alma, which is the difference of hay and an Aleph, and if it's Alma, it says, however, it says in the third Mishnah in the parak, any chazaka, any assumption of ownership that doesn't have with it a claim is not considered a chazaka. In other words, and there the Mishnah goes on to explain what does that mean, chazaka she'eni matana? I come to you and I say, you're sitting on my land, and you say, well, nobody told me that it was your land. So that's not a, so you don't have a claim. You're just sitting there. So if you have a chazaka she'eni matana, that's not a chazaka. You don't have any right to that property. And here we seem to be saying in our Mishnah that there's no, that there's no claim. It's just a chazaka. So what's going on? Tamamai. So what's the reason? Dilma amar hashta ihu la ta'in ana litanle. So what's, what's the reason here? I mean, we say maybe it's like he said. Right. So in other words, our the assumption is that in our Mishnah, it's not just three years. It's three years and with contradictory claims. I come to you and say, you stole my land. And you say, no, you sold it to me. So now we have contradictory claims. So what do we use to decide between the contradictory claims? We use the fact that you were sitting on the land for three years, right? Reuven and Shifra are disputing the land. Reuven comes to Shifra and says, you stole my land. Shifra says, no, you sold it to me. So now, how do we decide whose land it is? Shifra was sitting there for three years. The chazaka of Shifra sitting there for three years decides the case according to, to Shifra. For Shifra, so it's her land. But in the case where Ihula Ta'in, in a case where Shifra doesn't make the claim, you sold it to me, Anan Litanle, shall we make the claim for her? No, we're not going to make the claim for her. That's what a chazaka Sheni Matana is. But in our case, we're talking, there's an assumption here behind the claim, behind the the the, the, the chazaka is a contradictory claims. All right. Matkif Laravavira, Saravavira, a Babylonian Amora, says, uh, attacks and, and says, Elameata Mechash But from now on, if this is true, a a a challenge which is not in front of the current owner, which is not in front of the current guy sitting on the land, should not be considered a challenge, just like with a shoramuad. That a shoramuad, you have to actually say to the owner of the ox, your ox is gored. 
You can't just like say it to somebody, whoever. Just as with a goring ox, we need bifanav in front of in front of the owner. So to here with the land, we should if we're going to make the analogy with land, we should also require it being in front of him. Hatam so no, Hatam says no. What's the reason that we need in front of him? Because it says ad biv alav. It says in Shmot and Parshat Mishpatim that you have to testify to the owner. Hatam right? bivalav. There it says in Parshat Mishpatim that, and you will testify in front of the owner, meaning to say that he's gorge. Hacha, but here in terms of the land, there is no explicit biblical command, a biblical obligation to say in front of the current owner, the per- current resident of the land, it's not yours, but rather chavra, chavra itlay, chavra de chavra, chavra itlay. But rather you just say it to your fellow and your fellow has another friend and his friend has another friend. It's going to get back as the Jewish principle of gossip. Things will come back to the guy who's sitting on it and then eventually They'll come back to the guy sitting on it and say, you know what? Yankel thinks that this land is his, right? He is our heir. He's challenging your ownership. Ula Rabbi Meir. So, okay, maybe that works. So now let's let's try another thing about the three nigichot, three gorings compared to the three years. Ula Rabbi Meir, Damar, Richek Nigichotav, Chayav, Kirev Nigichotav, Lokal Shekain. So there's another opinion about three gorings. Um, or there's a dispute about three gorings. And, and Rabbi Meir in that dispute says that if an ox gores a person three times, one day after another or one week after another, and then ultimately that per, that ox is accountable as a muad, as one who is a goring ox. So kireb nigukhotav lokoshkin should even be even more so if the, the ox gores one day after another, like on a rampage, goring, 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 in the same hours, same minutes. So therefore, all the more so. So achlat lata peri bechad yom muad. So if a person is able to eat three fruits like like figs in one day, that should also be considered a chazakah, just like the 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 goring ox. In other words, and, and the fruit in the morning. It wasn't ripe, so I ate the ripe one. And then an hour later, the the one that wasn't ripe is now ripe, so I ate that one. And then an hour later, a third fruit, which wasn't ripe when the other two fruit were being eaten, I ate that. Three fruit ripened. I ate the three fruit, and now I should have a chazaka. Now I should own the field. So the stam and the stam replies, Mashar hamuad. That's not. This isn't good. Why? It's not. It's not an analogy. Mashar muad biidane de itle hanegicha leta la hanegicha. Hachanami biidane de itle haipere leta la haipere. No, there with the sharm with the goring ox at the time that there was one goring happening, the other goring just didn't exist. So hachanami biidane de itle la haipere leta la haipere. So to here at the time that this fruit exists, this other fruit should not exist, right? So you can't have, it's, it's in order to have three eating, three consumptions, has to be like three harvests, like three different things. When I'm eating the first fig, the second fig is nowhere to be seen. Not that it's not ripe yet. Okay. So then the stamp says, what about this? So what about eating three fruit on three different days, like a, like a tzlaf? 
which actually ripens very quickly. So that should be, why should that not be a chazaka, right? Three fruit, three one day after the other. So therefore, hatam peira miha ite umigmar huda gamar And that also doesn't work because there you're talking about fruit that even though they're not ready, they're not ripe, they're still, all we're talking about is they are, they exist. Miha ite, they exist. And it's just that they have to finish ripening, even if it's three days, even if it's over a period of three days. So what about if we eat, if you're talking about eating three over a period of 30 days, like straw, right? And you eat it and then it grows back and you eat it again. So that should be, it's a different thing. No, that should be a chazaka. There should be an assumption of ownership because you have three eatings. So what are you talking about? That it grows and then you eat. It grows and then you eat. So there it's not a new thing. It's just continuing to grow and then you go back and you eat it again. But as opposed to the goring ox, which it, they're completely different things. So therefore, it's not a chazaka. What about achla tlata peri bitlata yarche kigon aspasta lebe chazaka? So what about if you eat three fruit, meaning three periods of produce? Here we're talking about grain again, talking about straw, over three months. And at the end of every month, you rip it up, right? You have, and it's new straw. So that should be a chazaka. That should be an assumption of ownership because it's three over three months. So that sounds good. So then he says, Man usha, Rabbi Yishmael. They said, you know what? Actually, that's true, but that's only according to Holcha Yusha. And who is Holcha Yusha? Is Rabbi Yishmael. Remember, Rabbi Yishmael says at the end, uh, it has its own opinion. Rabbi Yishmael, hachinami, it's not. And that's Rabbi Yishmael who also says in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yishmael Amer, he says, what are we talking about? In the beginning of the Mishnah, we're talking about a stay lavan, right? Where it comes down by rain and only has one point in time, all the fruit are harvested. But however, if you harvest your grain and harvest your olives and harvest your figs, those three harvests, even if they're close to each other, are considered like three years. So Rabbi Yishmael would also say, yeah, you know what, this aspasta thing that you're going to eat the straw over three months, you're going to get the benefit from the straw over three months in each, at the end of each month, you pull it up. So yeah, that works. But that only works like, according to Rabbi Yishmael, that doesn't help us in ascertaining why Chazakah needs three years. All right. So we're going we're gonna to stop here, but there's an interesting thing that, that's going on. We said that Rabbi Yochanan's statement, Shamati Usha, I heard from Holchei Usha, that where do you know Chazakah from, is three years from, from a goring ox, that that uh, is different in the Yerushalmi, and there's actually a different reason given in the next Mishnah, which is about going to the ends of the earth and being able to come back. If we look at the sugya as a whole, right, if we stop here, because the sugya goes on for another... Uh, for another Amud, so we're going to stop here. But if we look at this, we're now, the next question in the Gemara is the Rabbanan Mai. So that's okay according to Rabbi Shmuel, but what about for the rabbis? And then they bring Rabbi Yosef, who has, an, has another, another reason. If we look at the Amoraic statements, what's the first Amoraic statement? The first Amoraic statement is Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, I heard from Holchei Usha, who said, 
how do you know that Chazakah is three years from the shore, from the goring ox? And the second Amorayak statement is Rabbi Avira says that, no, if you're going to learn from there, Elameyata, it's important that the Elameyata statement, the Elameyata statement signals that there's collateral damage from basing ourselves on this law. What's the collateral damage? From here, we'd say that just like the Shormor, that denouncing not in front of him is not considered denouncing. In other words, if you denounce, because if you denounce the goring ox, not in front of the owner of the ox, it's not considered denouncing. So it should be the same thing with, with Karka. And that's bad. We know that's not true. So Rabavira, this Matkifla, as all Matkiflas, uh, is dismissing the initial thing, the connection with Sharmwad. And then the next Amoraic statement is jumps past everything we did today, just about, to Rav Yosef, which is the next statement, Kraktiv Sadot which is what we're going to do next week, which is this uh, verse from Jeremiah. And then you go back and forth, Rav and Abaya. Um, and uh, so what happened here? It seems like the original sugya was just that. And we'll look at it again next week, but the original sugya was Rabbi Yochanan's statement, attack Baravira and dismiss Baravira, Rabbi statement, Rabbi's statement, and they're all Elameatas. In other words, you can't say that. And then they're going to come back to a different way of grounding the three years, which has nothing to do with going to Aspamia and coming back, which is interesting, and also um, has nothing to do with the details of the Shor Hamua, the details of the Goring Ox. And it's closer to the Yerushalmi's understanding of the Goring Ox, which is not about the three years. It's just about the fact that you have something that can change the status of the Goring Ox. So then what happened here? How did this, if we want to make assumptions about how did our sugya come about, is that once the Goring Ox was brought in, right? And once the statement was was passed down, passed on as how do we know that Chazakah is three years from the Goring Ox, then the Stam was more interested in the three, right? Then the conversation shifted to the three years rather than just this, the, the, the notion of the Goring Ox. And once it was three years, then you had this whole conversation around three years and then not, and then Rabbi Vera became part of that conversation that, wait, you could have denouncing not in front of him. And then you went back to, again, came back to the question of three, maybe three is not three, because if you're talking about Goring Ox, then you have Rebbe Meir who says, actually, you could be Goring in a shorter amount of time. And that's how we got this sugya, as opposed to Yerushalmi sugya, though the skeleton of the sugya here looks very similar to the Yerushalmi's sugya, though with a different ending. And that's not surprising either, because the ending is Abay and Rabba, who are mainstays of the Bavli tradition, mainstays of the, the Bavli tradition, almost never appear in the Yerushalmi. And they, they're basically the shift from the Bav, from the Yerushalmi to the Bavli in terms of the sages. Okay, we're going to stop here. It's been a pleasure being with you. I'm Arye Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Shout out to the Dashui team, Mechavruta, Charlotte van Robert, who will be with us, was supposed to be with us this week for a Hadron special edition, but because of technical difficulties, that didn't happen this week, but will that will happen. But shout out to Charlotte van Robert, professor at Syrian University, my uh, Chabruta, and to Eli Unger Sargon, producer extraordinaire, who keeps this whole thing going. And hopefully uh, you liked what we did here. If you did, please give me a rating on the uh, Apple podcast page. Bring your friends next year to our 
bait midrash, our safer at home bait midrash in the closet so that the sounds of Torah stream out into the street and hopefully in their little way help in bringing more justice to our world. Have a great week. Stay healthy.